Welcome to the Step Change podcast from me, Mike Foster, the Entrepreneur's Mentor. Now, my podcast is my thoughts to help you with the development of your own business. And this Step Change podcast is entitled The Business Model Canvas. In this podcast, I'll share with you my thoughts, which I hope will be thought-provoking, around a tool that I use with all of my clients to help them have a quick overview of their business on one page. Now, for me, the business model canvas, which is predominantly nine boxes, gives you that one place of capture where you can consider your customers, you can consider your resources, you can consider your offering, your revenue and your cost structure. And how I use this is to either make notes in different color pens or use different color post-it notes so that it can highlight areas of focus. So for example, we may use a green post-it note for something that's good. We may use an amber post-it note or a red post-it note for something that needs developing or doesn't exist. So what are these nine boxes? And I'm gonna run through them individually, but just to give you an overview about how I view the whole aspect of the business model canvas coming together. For me, it's underpinned by the middle box, the central box, the value proposition. What is it that's unique about your business that gives you the differentiation in your marketplace, creates your value so that people lean towards you with interest? Then if we go to the right-hand side, that's all about your customers. So over on the far right is your customer segments. It's who do you want to attract to your business? Who are your ideal customer segments? Who's your ideal customer? What's your buyer persona? And then linking that, if it's like a... I guess a loop is from your value proposition. It's the channels that you're going to use to attract those customer segments. And then over the top is then the customer relationships. That's the relationships you're building at all the different aspects of your customer's journey so that they're giving you feedback and helping you develop your value proposition. And if you get the right-hand side right, the box at the bottom is then the revenue streams. And therefore you'll start to develop your revenue streams, either your primary or secondary streams. On the left-hand side is then all the key aspects that you need in your business to deliver your promise, to deliver the value proposition that you've um, offered or given as a promise. So they're your key resources within the business. That might be your people, it might be other assets, it might be your IP, for example, I'll come on to that. It could be the key activities that you do in your business or the things that you're focusing on, or it may be those external to your business, your key partners. And again, if you keep that nice and lean, that will drive the box at the bottom left, which is your cost structure. And then for me, there's no surprise that the line in the middle at the bottom, the difference between your revenue and your cost structures is in line with your value proposition. So that's your profit in return for the value that you have to take to the market. So I guess the first place to start really is, like I say, it's underpinned by the central box, which is the value proposition. So what is a value proposition? Well, a value proposition is a promise of value to be delivered, communicated, and acknowledged. It's a belief from your customer about how value will be delivered, experienced, and acquired by them. Now, for me, a value proposition is a statement that paints a picture of your brand with clarity. It tells your prospects why they should do business with you rather than your competitors and makes the benefits of your products or service crystal clear from the outset. And I guess it's about creating that right first impression, making sure that they, those first impressions count because they're only made in a few seconds. So 
it's it's not for example just your idea or your product it's not just your technology or your slogan or your positioning statement it's more about what it is you're building for who and why they're going to buy it how you're going to solve their problems and improve their situations look at the specific benefits that your customer can expect and then why your customers should buy from you and not your competition and therefore considering like i say your unique selling point that gives you the dif- differentiation in your marketplace that creates your value Now, what's compelling about your proposition should be a consideration you have. You don't just want something bland. You want something that's compelling, something that's engaging. So, you know, what's your customer's motivation behind each purchase? And can you define that? And can you create the value around that in any particular time? And you'd have some sort of characteristics that may help you build your value proposition. Some of those may be quantitative. So... For example, that may be price and efficiency, or you might have qualitative. So that could be your overall customer experience or the outcome. So as an example, some of the characteristics businesses use is that the newness of their product. It could be the performance and the impact they make. It could be how it's designed or the customization. It could be around the brand. It could be pricing. It could be about cost or risk reduction. Accessibility, convenience and usability can also be characteristics that people use in their value proposition. But it's important to remember that different customers have different buyer motivations. So when you're thinking about your customer segments, if you've got multiple customer segments you're trying to focus, you may need to tweak or um, consider different value propositions for those different different customer segments. Because people can buy the same product at the same time for completely different reasons. And I guess we need to understand that. So in terms of creating your value proposition, think about whether you're addressing a need, a problem, pain, problem or fear. Consider your buyer's position and think as, well, is it a functional purchase? Is it something around social responsibility or is it an emotional purchase? So you're in effect linking the pain that they have, that negative emotion that they want to avoid with the gain in terms of the positive sense of satisfaction of engaging with you. And I think in terms of writing a value proposition, just think about, you know, what are the benefits? What are the benefits that are valuable to the customer? What's their main problem? And how can you connect that value to that that buyer's problem? Because that will enable you to start to differentiate it to yourself. But be clear, specific, impactful, and valued. And if you're struggling to write your value proposition, keep drilling down. Um, so, for example, if you said your differentiation was your customer service, I don't think that's enough. You need to drill further. So keep asking yourself why, why. Why? Why is your customer service better? Okay, it's because we're better on the phone. Okay, why are you better on the phone? Et cetera, et cetera. So you drill down right to the point where you can actually identify what it is that's unique about yourself. So some of the things you need to be asking yourself is, you know, what's the need, problem, pain, or fear that you're solving? What's your solution? What are the benefits that the customer can expect? And what is different and unique about your value proposition that is that compared to your competitors? If we then jump over to, like I say, the right-hand side, we're thinking about the key customers and what it is that's um, the target market that you're trying to attract. And we sort of blend this in, I think, with the, the customer relationships box at the top. So if we think about your key customer segments first, who are they? Why would they buy from you? And I guess who is that you're creating that value for? I believe that customers don't just exist to buy, they exist for their choice, their choice in terms of whether they're going to lean towards you with interest. So who are you creating that value for? Do you have a mass market product? 
Now, if you're Apple or someone like that, yes, you 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 probably do. But most small businesses focus more on a niche market or some element of segmentation or vertical market. So again, considering who do you ideally want to pull towards you? I believe that you know if you do X, Y, Z, you will get referrals, requests, website visitors because that's what you do. But with your marketing, whereby you've got limited resources in terms of time and money, then how can you focus that more effectively with a focus on a niche or a vertical market or a, a buyer persona, like a, an avatar, if you like? So can we define this easily? And I believe that if you're not mass market, the reasons why I don't think you should be targeting anyone is that working with your ideal customer, it's much more rewarding. You can concentrate your marketing efforts, as I say. You can better understand their needs. And you can also identify when there's service or product gaps that you can fill because then you can easily adapt because you know the market environment that you're working in. And like I say, you may profile your business. So, I'm sorry, the customers you're trying to attract. So, for example, historically, we used to do segmentation. So I I want businesses in a certain county of a certain size. Then we started to drill that down into more niches, segmentations. And now more recently, we're seeing much more focus on the buyer persona and that avatar that we're trying to attract and pull towards us. Now, one particular segmentation method that I like, um, in addition to things like demographics, classification, contextual marketing, is to think about the life cycle of your customer. What's the life cycle of your customer when they're going to engage with you? So, you know, I used to work with a firm of um, lawyers and we talked about this life cycle and, you know, what's this stage, you know, when you're a a teenager, perhaps getting your first job, what's your requirement from a law firm when you are then in your 20s, perhaps coming from single to getting married, buying a house, having children, what's your requirements? When do you want, when are you most likely to start a business? When are you then likely to retire? And what's the different needs of your service or your product at each stage of those life cycles? Can you, so you can talk appropriately or position that at the right time. And you have to think in terms of when you're profiling these customer segments is what's their want, need or desire, pain, problem or fear so that, again, you can relate to them. And this is all really around your market research. Where are they buying now? Why are they buying? What do they get for their money? How often do they buy from you? Or sorry, where they buy from now? What's their buying habits? Who's influencing those purchase decisions? And like I say, is it a want? Is it a need that you're trying to do? And you're trying to relate this with the customer journey. So if we then relate this through to the the further box, which is then customer relationships, you're thinking, okay, well, what's their expectations when they're in the awareness stage before they go into the consideration aspect? What sort of a relationship do they need with me? Is it a social media relationship? Is it a more face-to-face relationship? When they go into the purchase stage of their customer journey, what are the stages of your sales process, for example, so that you can not only get them, but you can then start to build the relationship so that you keep them and they grow with you so that you improve that relationship with them. You retain them longer. They move into the advocacy stage and and recommend you or buy even more from you. And there's different ways that we can build relationships with our customer segments. That may be around personal assistance, whether that's um, a sort of a generic service or whether that's more a um, personal assistance It may be around self-service or automated service, or it could be around building of communities, but making sure that each of those is mapping your customer journey. And the sort of questions I think you should be asking yourself around your customers is, who are your most important customers to target? 
what do you think see feel or do um when they're engaging with you and also from their perspective what's your profile of your ideal buyer what relationship do your customers expect from you and how do you maintain your relationships with those customers and then if we sort of the final link, if you like, in terms of the right hand side is then the channels, what channels that we're going to choose to take your value proposition out to your customer segments. Now, your channels describe how your company communicates with and reaches your customer segments to deliver your value proposition. And your channels serve several functions, which include your communication, distribution and sales. So, for example, it helps you raise awareness amongst your customers about your company's products or value uh, services. It helps your customers to evaluate your company um, and their perceived value proposition. It allows customers to purchase specific products or services from you. And it provides that sort of post-purchase customer support or a touch point as an interface that develops your customer experience with them. But it's much in much more sort of effective for your marketing because of these limited resources I said earlier into the time and money, if we're focusing on that customer segment we're trying to attract. And I guess the two aspects in terms of thinking about your channels is, okay, what's your overall strategy? But then what are your tactics that you're going to use? What are those effective channels that you're going to use to build traction towards your business? So you need to have sort of a tactical plan as well as an action plan. And sometimes that's going to be about challenging your comfort zones as well. So sort of different channels to market we may have to pull those customer segments towards us. It may be that we have a sales force. It may be we're, we're an online virtual channel, such as a web sales team. It could be that you have stores or you have strategic partners or a distributed sales partnership in terms of like wholesalers, et cetera. So what are your different channels to, to the market? And very possibly you'll have some sort of integration of these markets to help pull those customers towards you. And the important thing with all your different tactics that you have is that you have a consistent and integrated approach. So that if you're saying something on your website, you're saying something in your networking, you're saying something in your um, sales promotional material, it's all consistent because if a customer is confused, they often bail out. Now, one of my recommended reading books is a book called Traction, How Any Startup Can Achieve Explosive Customer Growth. And it's written by Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Mars. And it's a fantastic book covering 19 different ways that you can build traction for your business and encourages you to think about all those 19 things. Take a few into the middle, like a dartboard, and think about in that middle section, testing four or five that you can think, okay, can I get a return on investment by marketing my business in this particular way and then you take one maybe two into the bullseye because they're proven to work for you now it's the early um, chapters in the book that i get really engaged with because it's it's enforcing the message that basically says you need to consider all 19 for your business and park your personal feelings so for example if you don't like seeing facebook ads in your facebook feed and therefore ignore them or if you don't like clicking on google adword campaigns because you know they've been paid for rather than earned then sometimes we're likely to dismiss them in our own business because we don't believe they work because we don't like them but it might be the best thing to do for your business so it encourages you to think about all 19 without your personal considerations and when we're thinking about the channels thinking about how our channels interact with our customers it may be the, the different mix that we need going back to what i was saying earlier is it the awareness stage the consideration stage when they purchase 
What's the retention and then the loyalty stages? And again, what's the customer doing at these these times? What's your touch points? What's their emotions? What's their pain points? And what's your possible solution and the channel or the tactic that you can use to build this relationship or this no like and trust relationship? And I believe that it's a little bit like a tap that you need to keep your tap running or dripping, um, bringing people towards you. So the sort of questions you could ask yourself is, you know, through which channels do your customers want or expect to be reached? How are your competitors reaching your customers? Because, again, yeah, you want to be different, but you don't want to always reinvent the wheel. What are the best ways to build traction for your prospects? And what supports the reason for choosing those channels? So it gives you some clarity in about the channels that you're going to be using. And as I say, if you keep the right-hand side clear, it will start to drive the box at the bottom right, which is your revenue streams. And your revenue is that income that a business has from its normal business activities, usually from a sale of goods or services to its customers, um, often referred to as either sales or turnover in your accounts. And a revenue stream really thinks about three areas. It thinks about the source, which is I, who's paying. Um, so, you know, think like your ideal customer segments. It's the reason why they're paying. So is it because it's something you're offering in terms of service or product? What's the basis for payment? And also then the method. So again, how you capture your income to get money flow. So is it in one upfront payment? Is it in intervals? How are they paying, for example? So different ways that build your revenue stream. But also, you may have multiple revenue streams. You may have those operating revenues. That's the amount that you're earning from your core business activities or your secondary streams. So I, your non-operating revenues, the amount that you earn from side activities. So as an example, when I used to have a bookkeeping business, some of my side income was from referral revenue. So if I referred someone to an insurance company, for example, I would get some sort of little kickback. I was always open with my clients, but they, again, that was a, a secondary revenue that, that I could generate. And the categories that you may consider are things like your transaction-based revenue, where you're thinking about obviously the proceeds from your the sale of goods or services, and that's a one-time. You might have some service revenue. It may be your project revenue, or it may be reoccurring revenue that you're doing on an ongoing, consistent basis. I guess when we're thinking about the, the elements that we thought about, you know, it's thinking about how do your customer segments then purchase that value proposition for you. And as I say, it could be things like an asset sale. It could be a service fee, a usage fee, subscription fees. It could be that um, it's a return on something like a lending or, or, or a leasing agreement or a Maybe that you're licensing or franchising and receiving your revenue that way. It could be on things like brokerage fees or advertising, various different ways that you can generate revenue for your business. And it's thinking about the different mechanisms that you can use. So you might have fixed revenue streams whereby you're offering the same price no matter what happens in the market. Or you may have a more dynamic revenue stream where this is where you offer a price that varies depending on the different market forces. So that may be around you know, pricing differentiation, like auction pricing, your market market impacting. So then if we move over to the left-hand side, you then start to think about your partners and resources. Now, the two sort of key areas here, I personally talk about the wider team so not just those that are on your payroll but those that are external to your business that are still part of your team still need to be communicated with and I think for me though the partners are those external to your business so you know 
what can a partner or a supplier do better or cheaper than us and therefore we use a partner that way and what activities do they perform and then internally who are your key resources what are your key assets and if you think about okay if i wasn't in the business what would continue the business to operate would it be people would it be our systems processes hardware software intellectual property you know all those considerations would be your internal considerations um, sorry, in your internal resources. And as I say, those internal resources, they may be physical in terms of facilities, buildings, vehicles, etc. They could be intellectual. They may be humans in terms of your key people, but they may be financial in terms of things like guarantees or lines of credit, or they could be systems and processes. When you're thinking about your partners, those external to your business, I guess you also need to consider the primary motivation for having partners. So what's your primary motivation for having partners and why do they want to be partners with you? And again, it's finding the, the balance between the two, the win-win. And I think, you know, the key partners might be a sort of buyer-supplier type relationship. It could be a strategic alliance. It could be even your competitors coming together in partnership to sort of, I guess, build a community for the good of your industry, for example. Or you could be doing some sort of joint venture, which you may have done in a, in a separate business. And the sort of questions to ask here is, you know, who are your key partners, suppliers and service providers? And how will your key partners help your business? What motivates your partners? And I guess how reliant you are on your key partners because one of the things i um, i would warn you against is the number one because if you're reliant on one thing of any of these areas so one key resource one key partner then you know if something happens to that one um, then that's going to have an impact on your business so for example i was talking to a company fairly recently that had one supplier from europe for their goods that supplier can no longer easily trade with them so therefore they've hit a stumbling block so that moves us like not lastly into the box of your cost structure and i think the key thing really here is how can you keep your business lean but still deliver your value proposition we don't want to make it so lean but therefore it impacts on your ability to offer your product or your service in the way that you want to that gives you that differentiation that we talked about earlier so what's the important costs to operate your business model what are those most expensive things that you have to manage effectively and what are the key activities that the most expensive to you and therefore you need to make sure you get a return on investment and i talk to my clients about reviewing their expenditure list and making sure the things on their expenditure list are considered to be an investment because as soon as you consider an expenditure to be a cost then quite often it can be wiped out of your cost expenditure because you know even things like renting an office for example should be seen as an investment because it's enabling you to do x y or z and again going through the pandemic that was an exercise i did with many of my clients where we stripped out a lot of costs because they were no longer an investment in their business so your different cost structures will sort of impact in different ways so there's four main characteristics of your cost structure they're those fixed costs they're the costs that remain the same no matter what the volume is of goods or sales that you've produced things like salaries rents utility bills the variable costs could be things like the costs that change pro proportionally to the volume that you sell so that things like your cost of sales elements or it could be volume associated costs so things like post travel stationary that are related to the sales that you make it could be the the economies of scale so these are the costs that are reduced with the increase of the volume 
of goods and services that you produce. Or it could be then economies of scope, whereby these are those costs that are reduced with the increase of the business operations. So again, considering all those costs that you can do, I encourage you to forecast your business, consider your break-even point in terms of where your fixed costs and your contribution costs meet your sales revenues. And think about the deeper numbers in your business. Um, too many businesses in my mind focus purely on the numbers that are in their accounts. But actually, what's the real success drivers, the makeup of those numbers? So, for example, you know, if you've got a cost for a variable cost, what's really breaking that down? Is it the number of miles that people are doing? Is it the vehicle they're driving? And therefore, you can then start to break that down and assess that cost for yourself. Now, the sort of questions I think around costs are, you know, what are your cost of sales? What's the most important overheads that um, you have and how are they linked to your revenue streams? What are your personal income expectations? Because that's a, a big cost in most businesses. And how will you monitor and maximize that investment in your expenditure? So that's my overview of the business model canvas. Hope you've seen through my description of how I use the tool, how the nine boxes link and blend together to create one strategic action plan for you. As always, I hope my Step Change podcast has been useful and thought-provoking for you. Um, please do subscribe to my podcast via one of the channels, whether that's Apple, Google, Spotify, or a, a another, all accessible off of my website. And then next time I launch a podcast, you'll be automatically notified. Thanks for tuning in for this latest podcast. That's me, Mike Foster, The Entrepreneur's Mentor.